Well, good morning. No, really, good morning. Okay, thank you. Thanks for. All right, that's the spirit. Um, thank you all for being here. Uh, if you're visiting, as Emilio said, welcome. Um, don't judge our sermon just or service just by me today. Come back. There are others, please. So I'm just pinch hitting. I would like to do something fairly simple. Read a passage of the Bible to you, and then just reread it and talk about it, and then read it again and talk about it. Are you okay with that? Let's just camp out in one spot and look at this. And Pastor Eric went through this uh, last August, September. I think it was when he told everybody to take you to lunch, John. I, I don't know if you remember that, but um, uh, I want to cover that again. I think the the Lord, the Holy Spirit is impressing upon me. There's a couple messages that we have in here, a couple themes, a couple thoughts that we probably as a church, as a collective body, do not want to pass through. So again, if he preached this, you know, a month or two ago, that's different. Since it was last summer, I'm off the hook. The statute of preaching limitations has expired. So we can we can cover this again. But even if he, somebody preached it last week, it's still good. So, so that's the question. What am I talking about? Let's go to Mark chapter 6. And what I'd like to do is read verses 1 through 6. So that's Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Really encourage you to follow along in the Bible. If you have one, most people have one uh, on their device. If you don't have a, a hard book copy, if you need a book copy, Tahil is still walking around, so you can just hand you one right now. So um, anybody need a Bible, just raise your hand, we'll get you one. But otherwise, Mark chapter 6. And we'll start in verse 1. And I've stalled long enough. Hopefully you all are there now. Okay. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And he went out from there, and he came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him in such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. Let's pray for a moment, if you would. Hey, Father, hey, Jesus, hey, Spirit, thank you for recording this through John Mark all those years ago. We ask that you would help these words jump off the page and into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives, into our very being. And we would take what you have for each person here this morning, each person listening online right now, each person that might listen to this later on, that you would speak to each one of us as you see fit. Please help this simple message 
to have the impact you desired before time began. Amen. All right, let's walk through this. I'll unpack it for you. So in verse 1, it says, He went out from there. So whenever you see it there, you got to say, where is there? Okay, thank you for saying that. That's what, like when I read that, that's what I say in my mind, but you said it out loud. That works. Um, So where is there? Well, he was in Capernaum. He was in this area before that. And you remember, if you flip the page back or you read the prior chapter, no big deal. He's walking around this region. Jairus' daughter, a little 12-year-old girl died. He brings her back to life. The lady with the, who had the bleeding, remember that? So he's coming off of some victories. He's like spiking the football. There's this huge crowd. And where does he go? To his hometown. And does anybody remember the last time he was in his hometown? How well did that go? Not good. What happened? Throw him off the cliff. I'm so tempted to do that with his apple, but I won't. But yeah, yeah. So he's going back to Nazareth, and it didn't go well. And it also says in verse one, his disciples followed him. And when we hear disciples, we read, okay, this merry band of twelve guys—they're just dudes hanging out, hiking. You know, this is like the Capernaum Trail, the Appalachian Trail. They're just on. No. This is like more than the 12 disciples. This is a crowd of people. And have you ever been to something saying the village green and then a busload of tourists shows up and disgorges or you've been at the waterfront or the ferry shows up and it's like all these people, they're strangers, they're out of towners. So they're kind of in a mood if you're from Nazareth, just to set that scene. And then verse two says, and when the Sabbath had come, This implies that Jesus was chilling out, staying on his mom's couch in the basement, playing Netflix, or watching Netflix, hanging out, or whatever they did back then. And he's relaxing, but he was saving this for the particular day in the Sabbath. And he teached, he goes to the synagogue, and he began to teach in the synagogue. So in other words, he waited till... In our equivalent, Sunday morning he went to church. In the Jewish culture, it was Saturday and he went to synagogue. And what he was doing with that is he was trying to honor the tradition and the local customs, and he would honor the folks there. He also was trying to work within the situation that he knew was culturally familiar to these people. Are you following me so far? Because we haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. So, all right. And again, re- remember how well that went the last time. Throw them off the crowd. But it says in verse 2, there were many listeners, meaning more than just the regular crowd. They probably had an overflow. I don't know if they had the Hope Cafe like we do. But then it says the listeners were astonished. They were amazed. They were struck by how impactful and how wise and how almost otherworldly his teaching was. And their response was, thank you, we received that. Bless us, Lord. No, it wasn't that. I, I just seen if you were paying attention. There was another, who is this guy to talk like that? He's just a dude. What is going on here? And not only were they implying 
that they weren't grasping who this Jesus guy was and where but they were kind of saying there's all this wisdom we're reading you know Twitter we're reading Facebook we see the news this guy's got a following he's got huge miracles what's going on and we the implication is we know him he grew up here we changed his diapers we watched him throw him olives in the vineyard over there whatever kids did when they were that age and there's an implication that they're not so sure and then they they go to verse three it says he's just a carpenter he's just a regular guy in fact he's the son of mary his dad joseph is dead and you know what we're a small town we don't forget there was some weirdness when he was born they went away so he kind of has this weird family maybe there was a little controversy there's some dirty laundry, perhaps, in this family. And his brothers here, we know their family is, you know, this is a place where all of Jesus' brothers and sisters are listed in the Bible. We know this family. They're nothing special. They're one of us. What is going on? And they took offense at him. And again, you have to remember that prior visit, hey, he reads this passage about the Messiah and says, today uh, this is fulfilled. And they're like, what? And they wanted to throw him off the cliff. This time he's like blasting them with insights that were only available from God were supernatural. And they heard all of this and there's nothing special about him. And then they began to say, all right, we watched him grow up. We understand this. Obviously, we didn't see God do anything because they weren't looking for it. Maybe this guy got a hold of the devil. Maybe he's in league with the devil. That's the implication here. I don't know if you can read that through the text, but you read a lot of commentators. They're basically taking offense at him. They think he might be practicing dark arts, uh, you know, whatever, in league with demonic powers. And that's where he's getting his powers to do this irrespective of the logic of if you're demonic, you don't want to heal people and make them better. I don't follow that logic, but that's their thinking. Are you with me so far? It's kind of crazy. Yeah, so they're thinking about this, and there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of accusation. There's a lot of, we have this expectation of you, Jesus, and you're exceeding it, and we don't like that. Okay, that was good. You should write that down. We have this expectation of you, Jesus, and you're exceeding that. We're not comfortable with you exceeding our expectations, Jesus. That's too much. We're making, what's going on? This is just weird. <laughs> Something. We'll get to that in a second. So Jesus says a prophet is not without honor, and meaning he had had honor elsewhere. He was recognized and meaning it was appropriate to honor him. He wasn't shying away from that. And then he says, except in his own town and among his relatives. You ever hear this phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Right here. And I mean, it says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives. You all can relate that. And in his own household. So anybody here have a wife or kids or a spouse and kids, and do they ever keep you honest? Looking at some of mine, I 
am kept humbled and honest. I th I'm thankful. I'm joking. It's, it's pretty good. But I've been fortunate with my family both growing up and in our family now that we're very supportive. And I think if there's any teachers in the room or teachers listening, we could probably follow your example because teachers get this to not be like that. They're willing to give honor because they're all about development and allowing people to grow. And that's one thing to think about here. But Jesus is like, whoa. So verse 5 says, he could do no miracle there. Let's unpack that and put a couple myths to rest right now. It was not that Jesus was powerful enough, not powerful enough to do that. He was not incapable. He could have done that if he wanted to do the miracles. The point is this, God doesn't force himself on anyone, just like God doesn't save anyone unless they choose to receive it. They needed to accept it. It's not that God can't or couldn't have done miracles. He would have done this, but they wouldn't accept it. And thus, because they weren't willing to accept it, he could not do it. And really, this shows us, and this is the title of the sermon, this shows us the power of unbelief, this familiar unbelief, this familiarity that leads to unbelief. There's power in unbelief. And that's the concern I have for us as a body. And the thing I want you to see is Jesus could do miracle there, but then there's this word, accept. And in the Greek, that word means accept. So that's an insight for you. So you can underline that word. God is an exceptional God, and he's an accepting God. E-X-C-E-P-T. There's always a possibility with God. Somebody needs to hear that. If you're not seeing all this and it's just God's not working, accept. And I wonder about these people that he healed. And what strikes me is maybe they had weak faith, but it wasn't unbelief. Maybe it was just a small nugget. But more than that, even though he didn't want to push it, his compassion overrode his ability to not push it. He couldn't help himself. So even he healed a few of these folks who needed it. We don't know their stories. We don't know the situation. But he overrode the collective unbelief of that town, of that group of people in that synagogue. He overrode it because his compassion was too much. He couldn't help overriding their unbelief. And I want you to see that. Verse 6, he wondered. He marveled. This is to the point of Jesus is stepping back going, huh, really? This is amazing. I've never seen that before. Wow. Holy smokes. I mean, how can they be that faithless? How can they not believe after everything that's gone? The Greek word there is thamadzo, which is really this sense of wonder, marvel, astonishment, amazement, like, whoa. It's used a couple other times in the Gospels. And let me ask you, there were a couple times when Jesus says, wow, 
I'm marveling at the faith of this person. Centurion. The centurion, a Gentile guy, not from his hometown, from another culture. Jesus marvels at that guy's faith and says, whoa, let me point that out to you. Wow, that guy has a lot of faith, more than anything I've seen in Israel. Whoa. And then the other time, Jesus looks at his hometown crowd and he marvels at them here in verse 6 and he goes, wow, really? Are you serious? Whoa. And it must be something pretty amazing to make Jesus marvel. I mean, he is kind of God, you know, he's seen it all and everything, right? So my question for us is what is he marveling at in his hometown? It's this unbelief because they're not getting what God is doing. They don't get what God is about. They're being blinded despite all this evidence to the contrary. And I would say the question before us today, individually and as a church body, is how does Jesus look at us and what does he marvel about us? Our faith or our unbelief? Oh, that's deep and hard. When he looks at you, when he looks at me, when he looks at our church, does he marvel? And if so, does he marvel at our faithfulness or does he marvel at our lack of faith? That's the question before us today. We'll come back to that. So the last thing in verse 6, we often pass that, but it says he was going around to the other villages teaching. Oftentimes when people have low expectations of us and we exceed them and then they attack us and they're offended at us and they do all this, our response is, to go curl up, suck our thumb, and you know, eat six gallons of ice cream, or whatever it is that you use to, to comfort yourself with, to cope, right? We shut down when a group of people don't believe in us enough. You know what Jesus does? Okay. And he goes around, and he doesn't stop his ministry. He goes to these other villages around that area, and he keeps teaching. And as frustrating as it was, he keeps going. There's probably a lesson there for some of us. Yeah. So that's unpacking this verse by verse. I threw in a couple Greek words because it's kind of fun to do. Didn't mean anything. But um, what I'd like to do now is to go through this passage again and take two different perspectives. Okay. Let's just walk through this. And let's go through this again. The first this next pass from Jesus' perspective. And let's see if we can relate to it. Everybody okay with that? So, anybody here ever been talking about doing the things of God and never been taken seriously? Yeah. Okay. Anybody have truth or wisdom or even teaching that you're trying to pass on? and just was never accepted. And we're not gonna say by whom, you're thinking of who that is. Keep that to yourselves, please. Family members, friends, coworkers, people close to us. How many people here have ever been viewed by their past? 
Okay. What I'd like to say is others limited him based on what he used to do or who he used to be. They did not allow him to grow in their perception of him. And there's a lesson for us. Each one of us is not where we were yesterday. We're growing in grace. We're growing in faith, hopefully. And I'm wondering, has anybody here ever felt stifled by dated expectations? Has anybody here ever broken the perception of others of your growth and you are fulfilling God's given calling on your life and you've run into resistance because of that? Okay. I see a few heads nodding. So Jesus was defined by his past as well. Probably some of us have been and people have limited us by our past and there's a, a challenge for us there. But unlike Jesus, maybe there's been just one or two times. I'll just say maybe one or two, just a small number because I know all of you. Except for Stephanie, she admitted she was bad during worship. So, <laughs> Have there any been times where you've ever been rebellious or stupid or awkward or at your worst or ever sinned at all? Like just one or two times, that's all I'm saying, just one or two. So, no, t today, if you want, sure. So... How much harder is it then for us, for people who know us, particularly way back when, particularly perhaps before we became Christ followers, for us to then talk to them about that and they see that. And we got to say, whoa, that's not the case. Jesus, never sent, perfect, was still rejected and limited by his past. Others limited him in their thinking about him. So you should be encouraged by that. Even Jesus ran into this. Without all the baggage and the sin you have, Jesus ran into that. So he was also, anybody ever felt like or can relate that you were called crazy or a religious fanatic or a wacko or you're that family or you're that group? Anybody ever been there? Okay. Anybody ever said, okay, we believe in God, but up to a point, there's no need to get serious about it. You guys are almost like a cult, whatever that means. Anybody ever experienced that? So Jesus was trying to change things. He wasn't trying to change systems, organizations. He was trying to change people, individuals. And he was challenging their beliefs. And he was trying to push them to challenge and examine the things in their lives that were unexamined. And he ran into resistance for that. And in fact, he kept doing that. And you know what? It ended up happening because of that. Killed him for it. Now, I'm not saying we want to encourage you to do that to that point. You know, God has called us all to ministry to serve him. But here's the things I want you to see. We can probably all relate to Jesus. I saw a lot of heads nodding. Look at Jesus' response. First of all, he marveled. Whoa, <laughs> I'm blown away. I can't 
understand this. This is so awkward. This is just weird. It's uncomfortable. I'm blown away. I marvel. But he kept sharing the gospel, even though people rejected him and he marveled at their unbelief. Have you had someone in your life, perhaps familiar with you, who has caused you to marvel at their unbelief? Have you even marveled at your own unbelief at times? Keep going. Keep loving. Keep praying. Keep going. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep on going. That's the part of this message that I want you to hear. This is the encouraging part. Look at Jesus' example. Look at his response. Sure, we can marvel. Why are all those people doing that? Why are they behaving that way? Here's the newsflash. They're not Christians. They're going to behave like non-Christians. Duh. Okay. Keep loving on them. Keep praying them into the kingdom. Pre keep doing what you have to do. Okay. Everybody understand that? That's the encouraging part. Look what Jesus did. Keep going. Okay. It's okay to marvel, but you keep going. You keep doing what God has called you to do. Your specific mission and ministry in your circle, in your family, the people that only you can reach, the people that you need to know. And if you're wrestling with God right now, who is that God? I'm frustrated. Here's the message for you. Keep going. Be encouraged. Keep going. Okay. If I stop there, that'd be a decent message, right? Somebody say, yeah, please. Thank you. Okay. Um, but we're not done. I would miss my opportunity and I would miss my not be doing my job to also give you potentially a warning as well as an encouragement. Again, Bob Sorge says the gas and the brake, you gotta have both. So I wanna give a, a gentle, gentle, gentle warning. Is that okay? I'm going to anyway, so thank you. Um, <laughs> let's go through this again, back to chapter six, verse one. And let's go through this from the perspective of the Nazarene townsfolk. We do not naturally gravitate towards these people. We do not naturally gravitate towards any of the villains or antagonists in any story. But let's see if we can at least try to, if not relate, at least see their point of view. Because I think there are some things in here for us that might be useful. So again, Jesus comes back to town they knew this kid. Again, they had changed his diapers. They cleaned up when he spit up on them. They coached his little league. They saw him grow up. They supported him and all the kids of the community. We all can relate to that. We all do it. You know, a little kid runs around and pick one of them and whatever. We, I saw Dan doing it with Judy. Pick the kid up, just put him on his lap. It's what we do. It's what we should do. So they supported him, but you ever notice, particularly in a small town or a community or people that you're familiar with, they were also his worst critics. Okay, now we're meddling. Um, they knew him, they knew his past, they knew he was just a carpenter, and they knew that he was from Nazareth, and in their minds that meant there's nothing special here, move on. 
Anybody remember what Nathaniel said about Nazareth? What do you say? Anything good come from Nazareth. Yeah. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Do you think Nathaniel was the first guy to ever say that? Yeah. Do you think the people in Nazareth maybe thought that about themselves? Because, I mean, you say that about me and my family and my town, I'm bowing up. No. But they're like, yeah, this, that's us. We're a bunch of country hicks out in the hills of Galilee. Did I sell that with the accent? But they, they, they're like, we're just regular people. There's nothing special here. He had already upset the town before. Remember when he came back the last time? Hey, I'm the Messiah. What? We're going to throw you off the cliff. He's speaking crazy stuff. He sounded different, and that was bothersome, but more so, and this is the thing that probably really gets to the heart of the matter, he was trying to change things. Jesus was trying to change stuff. Things are just fine the way they are, thank you very much. Who are you to come in and tell us to change? They had heard of his teaching they had heard of all of his miracles. They had heard of his fame. Maybe they were even a little dubious. Like, how can that be? I mean, if you know somebody who goes on to fame, celebrity, fortune, you kind of go, how did that happen? Because we grew up in the same environment. I mean, what did this guy, he just must have got, what's going on? How did that guy end up in Hollywood? How did that guy end up in Nashville? How did that guy end up in the NBA, the major leagues, pro football? How did that happen? We ate the same school lunch. What's going on here? This is weird. I'm a little dubious about it. In fact, and then here's another thing we might see. And again, I'm not saying this is you, but see if you can't relate. This guy is one of us, and now he's really succeeded. He's famous. He's making a name for himself. He's making waves. Well, I could have done that. Maybe they're a little jealous of him. Do you think? Maybe a little jealous. And certainly, they would have fit right in in New England because they're very cynical. Sorry, that was mean to say that. But. But they were incredibly cynical and they didn't believe because they already knew him. And no one from our little hometown could do that. And I think what this strikes me as a reminder is we need to be very careful of our preconceptions when we read the Bible and the culture we live in of not having preconceptions that don't reflect the fullness of the scriptures and that are not accurate. The prophecies of the Messiah and the origins of the Messiah were very much misunderstood. They didn't believe the Messiah could have come from their hometown. Technically he didn't, he came from Bethlehem, but they didn't get all the backstory. They didn't understand this. Sometimes we might not see all of what God is doing, but there's this element and then they were offended. How dare this snotty-nosed kid grow up, go off, come back, and tell us what to do? He might even be crazy. I mean, no one in their right mind leaves their dad's business, which is stable and fine, and goes off and does all this stuff. I think the biggest thing that 
the Nazareth town folk have that strikes me is they couldn't accept that Jesus had grown, had matured, he had advanced, and he had moved on. They might have felt left behind. And therein lies one of the warnings I would like to give to you. They held this against him. And because they held this against him, because they were not allowing Jesus to move on and advance and to grow, they were trying to hold him back. He didn't let them hold him back. But the result of that is they missed out. He quit teaching there and he went around all the other villages. They missed out because of their own limitations. And my fear for any of us, it's insipid, it's very subtle, but that we don't become like these hometown folk and we limit God in our thinking. We limit what God is doing in the person sitting right next to you in the pew or chair or behind you, wherever. We don't limit one another in what God is doing in their life because we don't allow them to grow and mature in Christ. That's my concern. I'm not saying that it's happening. I'm just saying there's enough here when I read this that we're so easy to relate to Jesus and oh, I'm so constrained and all these people don't get me. They just, uh, what if we're some of those people? We wanna be careful not to be like those people. If you find yourself reacting that way to someone, if you've ever responded to close friends or family or whatever, to people who are Christian but may seem a bit off or may seem wacko, just heed this warning. Maybe God's at work in them, okay? Have, if you ever feel like you're unbelieving something, there's disbelief in what God is doing, especially from someone that you know who might not be qualified, who might not have the past that's really what you would expect. If you're seeing God work in them and you just don't believe it, check your unbelief. Let God be bigger than your unbelief. Let him work in them. Is that okay to say it like that? Yes. Okay. Again, I'm not slamming anybody. I'm not pointing out any particular thing. I, I'm just sensing when I was preparing this that we need to be open for what God is doing that we're not even aware of in people's lives right now. Not what he will do, certainly that, but what he's doing now, we need to let him do that and we need to encourage one another to develop and grow and mature in Christ and not be that church that blocks it because we can't see it or we don't believe what God is able to do in that guy or that guy or that gal or this person. So it's a very gentle warning. I'm trying to be as gentle as I can, but it's a warning nonetheless. And I don't want us to give in to unbelief in what God is doing in others. And I also don't want us to give in to unbelief in God himself. It's very, very, very subtle, but it's there. We are bombarded and attacked and everything is arrayed against us to distract us, to help us to not believe in God and the things of what he's doing and what he said he would do and who he says he is. That's our culture around us. And I'm challenging us to not be the people like in Nazareth that just have that unbelief in what is possible and what God is capable of doing. I don't know what that looks like.
what I just want to say is let's be the kind of place that helps one another grow and build up our faith. I think we already are in many respects, but let's excel at that even further. Okay. Let me wrap up. Let me just wrap up. Sorry. Um, yeah. Remember when Jesus marveled? One was at faith and one was at this familiar unbelief. That's my challenge to myself. That's my challenge to all of us. Is when Jesus looks at you, when he looks at me, what's he going to marvel at? Wow. Holy, I can't. Whoa. Did you see what that guy did? He believed in me. I can run with that. We're going to flip up this little neighborhood because of that guy. Wow. I want Jesus to marvel at our church. I want Jesus to marvel at each one of us, not because of our unbelief, but I want him to marvel at us and go, wow, you should see my people at 46 Mitchell's Way. I'm amazed. I'm like, I'm astonished. Some of them are bananas and crazy, but they believe in me. Who cares about the Wow. They trusted me enough. I want that for all of us, for each one of you, for myself, for my family. I want that versus Jesus going, really? Seriously? And then the warning again, if you don't know Christ, there's going to come a time when Jesus is going to marvel at you. And that will not be good and it will not end well. The evidence, just looking outside in all of the created earth, the evidence in his written word, the evidence in the lives and testimonies of people who follow him is pretty compelling if you seriously stop and examine it and evaluate it. And I don't want you to be the kind of person that causes Jesus to go, wow, I laid all that out for them. And not only did they ignore it, but when I broke through their distractions and got their attention and laid this out there, they still didn't believe. I don't want that for you. I don't want Jesus to marvel at our unbelief, whether for salvation or for doing something in your life or the lives of your circle, your family, friends, coworkers, whether it's for the nations or whether it's for that one neighbor, it doesn't matter. I don't want him to marvel at your unbelief. I want him to marvel at your faith. And I want him to say, wow. When you get to heaven and he unfolds the book of your life, I want there to be a lot of thamadzos. Jesus was like totally blown away because of what you did. I would love that. That's my prayer. somebody here doesn't know Jesus the warning is there please believe and trust him there's a lot not a lot much more else he can say or do the evidence is there come talk to Scott Curry up here in the front come talk to Emilio they'd be happy to walk you through 
what that actually means to follow Jesus. Come talk to anybody you know. And Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your reaction. Thank you for your humanity. Thank you even for your sense of humor. Thank you that you are an example to us, that you do marvel, but you don't let people limit you. Help us to follow your example and your response and help us to keep going. And Father, Jesus Spirit, if we're unknowingly being the kind of people that are limiting you or holding back others, please forgive us of our sins. Please make us aware of that and help us to change and to stop doing that and to instead encourage one another and to help others to grow. Increase our faith. Increase our belief in your ability and your capability. Help us to be people that at the end of our lives, you marveled at our faith. Whatever that looks like, I pray that that would happen. And I pray that you would give each one of us a very specific opportunity to give you cause to marvel at our faith this coming week. And we look forward to hearing stories about how you worked because we let you. <laughs> Amen.